tonight we're going to take a, a, I guess, a rather large chunk of this chapter and move sort of quickly through them. And uh, a couple of the major themes that we'll see tonight are uh, business dealings, how we, uh, how we handle buying and selling, I guess, things like that we would say. And since uh, that has to do with wealth. We'll see some sort of overlap there. We'll talk about riches and wealth a little bit as well. We'll see that. Um, we'll see how how our actions affect other people or other things, and even how our actions affect affect ourselves. And part of that is we're going to see a, a, a section of verses that deals a lot with sort of this idea of deliverance versus destruction. Um, the righteous are delivered while the wicked are, are, are going to end up being destroyed. We'll sort of see that over several verses. We're going to talk again about speech. If you're tired of hearing about speech, just sit tight because you're going to keep being tired of it because Solomon's going to keep bringing it up because it's that important in, in our wisdom and in our walk. We'll see that. We'll see some reminders of the benefits of just kindness uh, and how... Uh, we would just say that our character and our integrity and how we treat other people. So there's just going to be, um, there's a lot. This is, this is truly a section of the rapid fire uh, uh, Proverbs. And so we'll, we'll see that tonight. But we're going to stop at verse 20. And the reason we'll stop there is because I want you to look at verse 1 and verse 20. Uh, and you'll sort of see one of those bookend type things that we've talked about before. Look in verse 1. And it says, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. If you look at verse 20, you're going to see the two same Hebrew words again. Those of a crooked heart are an abomination to the Lord, but those of blameless ways are his delight. And I'm reading, reading the ESV once again. So in verse 1 and verse 20, you see these same words, abomination and delight, and sort of juxtapose against one another. And so... Let's talk for just a moment about what those words mean because they're really, really powerful words. An abomination is a really strong and intense word that describes something that is just loathsome. It's detestable. It's, it's disgusting. It's abhorrent. It's, it's repulsive and repugnant. Um, and some things in the Old Testament that are described this way are witchcraft, um, idolatry, homosexuality, human sacrifice, just, you know, sins that um, we just are even taken aback by. And, and those sorts of things are described as abominations to God in the Old Testament. Um, and, and that's the idea of the word here. You contrast the word abomination to the word delight. I think you could say... Uh, as simple as this is, something that's delightful is the exact opposite of an abomination. But what it really means is it's something that's pleasing. It's acceptable. It's, it's desirable, even, even in the sense to say that it is your will. Sometimes we use the phrase, it, it's God's will. That means that he delights in that. That's what, that's what pleases him and what he accepts. And so... Um, these words are very, very strong and very intense when we think that an abomination is a repulsive thing to God, but something that he delights in is his very will. 
And I, I've used this illustration before. If it's familiar, that's why, to help us understand the word abomination for sure. But think about different smells. There are some really good smells in this world. And there are some really foul smells in this world too. And the worst odor I ever smelled in my life was in high school when we dumped out trash bins to go through recycling and separate aluminum cans from plastic bottles. And I've told you this before, it was such a smell that I literally ran away from the pile so that I did not vomit. True story. It repulsed me. It was abhorrent. It was an abomination. That's the idea of this word. Very different from your favorite smell. What's some of your favorite smells? Say them. It's not a rhetorical question. Ooh, cinnamon, apple pie, bacon. Yes. Thank you. The right answer. <laughs> Chocolate cake coffee is another right answer. Brother Stan, those, those smells delight us. Um, I'm a little odd. One of my favorite smells is sawdust in a workshop. I don't know why because I, <laughs> I can't work in a workshop. I don't have that talent, but maybe it makes me feel like I can to smell that sawdust and, and grease and oil a little bit or something. Those are smells we want to bring close not like the trash that, that you empty out. And so that, hopefully that sort of helps you understand just the difference between an abomination and a delight. And so with that sort of image or picture in mind, verse 1 again says, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. And then I'll read verse 20 one more time. Those of crooked heart are an abomination to the Lord, but those of blameless ways are his delight. These are intense things. Verse 1, we'll, we'll talk more about it because it's more specific than verse 20. Um, we'll, so we'll focus on it a little bit more. What exactly is a false balance? A false balance. Um, when, when you read the word balance here, we're talking about one of the old... Uh, we would say maybe old-timey uh, scales where, where you put things on one side and you weigh it out on the other side and if, the, if, they, uh, if they even out, you've weighed it out correctly, you've measured it out, and you know that's, that's an even thing. And so that's what Solomon is referring to here when he says balance. And the reason he's talking about a false balance, it, it, it relates back to an ancient business practice where... Merchants, when they, depending on if they were buying or selling, some merchants, not all of them, some merchants would purposely tamper with or mislabel their weights so that they could cheat their customers. It's, it's a little bit like this, and I know they didn't use pounds back in ancient Israel. They had their own scale, you know, weights and measurements, but it would be like going to the grocery store and asking for a pound of ground beef. And if we were using these types of scales, the, the butcher would take a weight that says one pound and puts it on one side of the scale and then 
takes the handful of ground beef and puts it on the other and it evens out and you pay for a pound of ground beef and you think you got a pound of ground beef but little did you know that the weight he put on the scale was only three quarters of a pound. He mislabeled it on purpose to cheat you. So not only did you pay more, but you also got less. So he got to keep more meat and get more money. And so that's extremely dishonest to purposely be dishonest in a way to deceive someone and cheat them. And Solomon says that's actually an abomination to God. It's wrong, but it's more in, even intense than that. It's the principle in verse 1 is that dishonest business practices are repulsive to God. Why do you think those types of practices disgust God so much? He is just. We are treating people differently than he treats people then. That's not the way he set up the world. He did not intend it to be that way. Um, and that really that's what we're learning in Proverbs is how he intends us to act. And he intends us to be ethical and moral and honest. And when we are purposely deceitful like this, whether it's in business or uh, you know, taking a test at school or whatever it may be. That disgusts God because that's not the way he intends it to be. Um, the flip side, the line B of the proverb says, but a just weight is his delight. The word just here is not the word for righteous. Sometimes we think just and righteous and, and they're synonyms, and, and they are, but that's not this word. It's really neat when we understand this image of the cheating businessman putting these weights on the scale. This word actually has the idea of something that's whole. Something that's sort of intact and untouched and complete. It's really close to the word for peace, which is the shalom. You've heard that Hebrew word before. It's close to that word. And so really Solomon is saying, this, this businessman that uses these tampered with weights... That disgusts God, but whole weights, complete weights, weights that are intact and accurate, those delight God. It does, it, it's so intense to think that when you just are fair and honest when you do business with somebody, that's God's will. He is delighted in that. And when you cheat someone, It disgusts him. It's pretty strong. It's really strong. God cares about the way that we do business. And as his children, we should be honest in our dealings with people, whether that's something we're buying, whether that's something we're selling. If we cheat people and we use deceptive practices uh, for our benefit, God is not pleased with that whatsoever. So be honest be fair, be trustworthy, be that person in verse 20, be the blameless person, not the person with the crooked, twisted heart. That's the kind of person that would, that would use a false balance. Be honest. Let's look at verse 2. Um, let's, look at, look, read, let's read verse 2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, 
but with the humble is wisdom. This is one of the many warnings about pride in the Bible. Um, we won't go really, really deep here, but this particular word for pride has the idea of something boiling up and swelling. Um, we kind of use that imagery today about pride. We, when we say somebody has an inflated ego, you know, or they, they're puffed up. So we, we talk like that. That's sort of the idea of this word. Um, here, though, we see this connection between humility and wisdom. Normally, we think of humility and grace because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now we also see there's a connection between humility and wisdom. A proud person is not wise. A humble person is displaying wisdom. And this seems completely random and unrelated to verse 1, right? We just talked about business practices, and now we're talking about pride. And, and there, there may be some just, again, the quick, you know, Proverbs changing directions here. But one man that I read, he did have a really interesting suggestion of a relationship between these two verses. And he, he said this, both false weights and arrogant people claim to be heavier than they really are. <laughs> and when I read that, I sort of stopped from it. I like that. I like that. He said, someone who thinks only of self and has no regard for others can easily resort to cheating in business affairs. So if we want to see a connection here between these two, the proud person, uh, they're not honest about their true weight, <laughs> just, like a, just like a false balance. And if you're proud and see yourself as better than other people, what's to stop you from cheating them in a business deal? Nothing, because you think you're better than that person anyway. So there, there, there can be a connection here for sure. All right, let's look at verse 3 and, and verse 4 here. Um, verse 3 says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Um, this could relate back to the deceitful business practices, but it's, it doesn't have to end there. This is just a very, you know, a very generic proverb about integrity and uprightness. Some might argue, though, in the business context that, well, but if I'm crooked, I might make more money. Right? It, it might benefit me. In the short term, I might have some success. But look at verse 4 now. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. So the person that would argue, I don't care what Solomon says about treachery and crookedness. I want money. Solomon says, hang on. Riches won't help you in the day of wrath. You can't stand on your wallet during the judgment. Okay, It will do nothing for you. Even if you have honest wealth that you've worked hard for and God's blessed you with, he's not impressed. Wealth will not help you when you stand before God. Only righteousness will matter. And really only the righteousness of Christ will matter. And so we're, we're left here in, in, in verse 4 to, to ask ourselves what we value more. Do we value riches or righteousness more. If we value riches more than righteousness, then we will cheat people. We will use the false scale. Why would we not? But if we understand the value of righteousness, then even in our dealings with people, we will want to portray that. Righteousness is more valuable than riches. All right, let's look at verse 5 through 8. We'll see that theme of kind of destruction versus deliverance with these. I'm going to sort of group these together um, even as I explain them. But verse 5, 
The righteousness of the blameless keeps his way straight, but the wicked falls by his own wickedness. The righteous of the upright delivers uh, the righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the treacherous are taken captive by their lust. Verse seven: When the wicked dies, his hope will perish, and the expectation of wealth perishes too. The righteous is delivered from trouble, and the wicked walks into it instead. So again, we'll talk about these verses sort of as a group. And they're all similar in the sense that they present a righteous man of integrity, uprightness, that there's deliverance that comes with that. But a wicked person is, is going to end in destruction. We've talked about it in some of the introductory chapters. This, there's this peace and safety and security that come from God's wisdom, from living after his standards. There's... Um, I, I like the way one author said it. He said, the way one lives life either complicates it or simplifies it. He says, if we walk in God's way, we'll discover that the pathway we tread is much less complicated. He says, not void of conflicts, but easier than it would have been otherwise. And we see that play out in this world all the time. When you live wickedly, it complicates your life. You have to worry about every knock on the door. It's, there's so many things that happen that you're worrying about because of your wickedness. When if you would have just done the right thing, it doesn't mean your life's going to be perfect, but it's simplified. I'm just trying to do what's right. I'm just trying to please God. Um, wickedness messes things up. Puts you in danger forces you to make decisions that you should never even have to be making. And wickedness ultimately leads to destruction. And, and notice in these verses, much of the destruction is self-inflicted. Look at line B of verse 5. The wicked falls by what? His own wickedness. Look at line B of verse 6. The treacherous are taken captive by what? Their lust. Look at verse 8 and, and line B of verse 8. The wicked walk into it instead. Is there anyone in the Bible that you think of when you think about a wicked person being caught in their own wickedness? Anybody want to take a guess on who comes to mind here, for, for me anyway? David? Haman. Haman. Haman is the one I'm thinking about. If you remember the story of Esther... Haman was a man who hated the Jews. And he wanted to annihilate the entire Jewish race. Little did he know the queen of Persia at that time was a Jew. And there was a Jewish man named Mordecai, related to the queen, who refused to bow down to Haman and show him the respect that he thought he deserved. There goes to that pride thing. <laughs> he was the swollen man there. And so Haman, in his wickedness and in his hatred, built a gallows to hang Mordecai on and to kill him. What ended up happening in that story? He hung on his own gallows, didn't he? What does verse, verse 6 says? The righteousness of the upright delivers them. I think Mordecai would fit that. He was, he was delivered from that. 
But at the end of verse 5, the wicked falls by his own wickedness. That's exactly what happened to Haman. It, it came back to bite him. The wickedness that he intended for Mordecai, um, we would just simply say it backfired on him. Wickedness has a tendency to do that to you. It will complicate things and it will bite you sooner or later. It will. And Solomon warns us about that. All right, let's look at verse 9 through 13. More warnings about speech in these verses. Verse 9. With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor. But by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. But by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. We'll stop, we'll stop reading there. So in verse 9, 12, and 13, we sort of see what a wicked person's speech does. Solomon says it, it will destroy his neighbor, it will belittle his neighbor, and it will reveal his neighbor's secrets. That's, that's what a, a wicked person's speech does. And there's some very uh, intense thoughts here with, with this speech. The word uh, for uh, destroy in verse 9 is the same word used in Genesis when God said that he would bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh. The same word. Now when, uh, when God said that in Genesis, that destruction was righteous judgment. Okay, um, So don't, don't take that and run with it the other direction. But my point is I want you to see the intensity and the seriousness of this destruction. That same type of destruction and just, you know, complete devastation is what Solomon is thinking here that your speech can do. James said it, right? That our tongue, it just, just takes a little spark to get a fire going and our, our tongues are like that. They're just this blazing fire if we don't, if we don't get them under control. Um, we obviously want to avoid destructive speech you know, in our own lives, but how many of you want people talking destructively about you? Nobody wants that, right? I read one commentator that said, basically, we're all one rumor away from being destroyed. One rumor away. True or untrue? One rumor can ruin someone's life. That's how destructive speech can be. But there seems to be, in verse 9, the end of verse 9, some protection or safeguard here for the wise, Solomon says, but, the, but by knowledge the righteous are delivered. There's different ideas about what Solomon means there. It's perhaps that there's, the righteous have a knowledge of knowing not to get too close to some of these wicked people who might, might would spread rumors about them, and they are sort of cautious about who they, uh, who they get close to. Um, some believe that he's, he's talking about uh, the knowledge that that would refer to their ability to sort of see through the de destructive words of this person and not really be reeled in or, or be entangled by their plot. And all of that could be true. Um, all of that could be true. Um, in, in verse 12, I'll move on to that verse right quick. 
the word belittles there. It's an intense word. Um, we've seen it before in Proverbs. It was the same word as despise. Back in chapter 1 in the introduction when Solomon said, Fools despise wisdom and instruction. They don't care anything about it. Well, he's, that's the same word for belittles here. And the implication is, is this, this despising and this disdaining, uh, one author says, you can see on the slide, it leads to outward expressed and vocalized contempt. So you think, well, I can despise someone and keep it in. What did we talk about a few lessons ago? That hatred, if you have hatred in your heart, it's going to come out in your mouth. It's going to come out in your actions. You, you can't keep a lid on hatred forever. That's not the way, that's not the way it works. And we, so we see that here. Um, whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense. Some of the... Uh, some of those hurtful words, if you move into verse 13, could just be revealing things your neighbor has told you in confidence. And when I say neighbor, it doesn't have to be your next door neighbor, but your friend and anybody like that. Um, the way we would say it in our language is we would use the phrase uh, airing someone's dirty laundry. Um, that might be the way we would say it. And so verse 12 and verse 13 really give us shows us the importance and the wisdom of keeping our mouth shut. You know, a lot of time we talk about what, how we need to talk and what we need to say and things like that, and that's important, but we also need to see the wisdom in that sometimes we don't need to say anything. We, we've sort of seen that a few times in Proverbs, just about the, the cautious communication of a wise person. And here we see that that cautious communication part of it should mean that you're a trustworthy confidant. When someone tells you something, if you want to take that and hold on to it just so that you can use that against them later, you're wicked. You're not a wise person. The wise person can be trustworthy enough to take that information and then not smear their friend's name with it. Uh, but Boy, we have a tendency to do that, don't we? We like that good gossip. Don't be a, a, a slanderer. Just because you've been told something doesn't mean you're supposed to tell it. Our speech and our discretion are powerful things. All right? Um, on a personal level, yes. Uh, but verse 10 and 11, even on a, on a larger scale, he talks about cities. We could talk about communities, churches, cities, families, whatever, just on a larger scale. What you say and what you don't say can hurt more than just personal relationships. It can hurt a lot of people. One of our, one of our modern proverbs, loose lips sink ships. That's pretty much what Solomon said when he said, by the mouth of the wicked, the city's overthrown. So even we think of our, of our speech and our discretion in our personal relationships. But, you know, what if a mayor or a senator or a president or a king doesn't watch what they say or what they don't say? It's, it can even escalate more than just individual relationships then. And so Solomon even warns about how our speech and our life affects communities. 
All right, let's move on to verse 14 and 15. Uh, we'll go quickly through these. Both of these have to do with uh, just making wise decisions uh, about different things. Look at verse uh, 14. Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. So verse, verse 14 explains the wisdom of just seeking counsel, seeking advice. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I sent this proverb uh, in a text to our deacons sometime last year when we were discussing things that our church needed to do with, with all the COVID-19 stuff going on. And um, I didn't pretend to know or have all the answers. I don't think anybody in the world had any answers at all. <laughs> but um, it was very valuable to me to have the input of others. Um, don't ever be so arrogant in your life that you won't listen to someone else. Especially brothers and sisters in Christ. Especially other people who should be displaying wisdom in their lives and who, who know Scripture and who are uh, praying individuals. You need to be careful who you take your advice from. You don't need to take counsel from the wrong people. There's a great story of that. Um, one of the kings listened to his buddies instead of the old counselors. You can look that story up later. It didn't work out for him. But seeking good, godly advice and counsel is a wise thing, Solomon says here. In verse 15, he says, Whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer harm, but he who hates striking hands in pledge is secure. The idea of striking hands, we would think of it just like a, like a handshake uh, agreement. Um, we talked about this in depth in chapter 6. It's that issue of offering surety for someone else, uh, uh, offering collateral. We would say co-signing a loan for someone, that type of thing. Solomon just warned us to be very, very cautious about that. Um, it's not wise to tie your own financial well-being to someone else's. Um, there are times when that's needed, parents and kids and different things. We talked about that more in chapter 6, but here it's just a short nugget. You know, if you put up security for a stranger, it's going to hurt you. But if you just say no thanks, you'll be secure. You'll be, you'll be protected. All right, let's move on to, to our last handful of verses here, verse 16 through 19. And we're all, as we read these, you're just going to see the, um, the effects of our actions, okay, and, and the, uh, what happens with those. Verse 16, a gracious woman gets honor. And violent men get riches. A man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. The wicked earns deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. In verse 19, whoever is steadfast in righteousness will live, but he who pursues evil will die. And then we come back to verse 20 again, which we, we've already talked about. So, verse 16, you're presented with this gracious, favorable, charming woman, um, not measured in that way by her physical appearance, but by her heart, by her, by her inner beauty, we say sometimes. That woman receives honor, receives praise, receives glory. She is truly impressive. You contrast that to violent men, who take hold of riches. Um, does anybody have a, a translation that inserts the word only in verse uh, 16? I don't remember if there are. 
the NLT does that. The, the word only is not in the Hebrew text, but that's sort of, that's the idea that Solomon's getting at here is that a gracious woman receives honor. Violent men only get riches. You know, they, they, they might get riches. Violence might be successful short term. But that's all you're getting. You don't get the honor and the praise and the glory of someone with a, with a charming, gracious, favorable spirit. Um, you don't have that that value of inner character. Um, so that, that's sort of the idea there, verse 16. So it kind of goes back to that, uh, that thought of, would you rather have riches or righteousness? Would you rather have honor or money? Which one's more valuable to you? And then we go to verse 17. Um, following verse 16, verse 17 is great because um, immediately after that, the thought about the value of inner character we have verse 17, which reminds us that the kind of person we are is going to directly affect us. Um, it's sort of, it's a reminder that our actions are like boomerangs. If you show kindness, that, that'll benefit you. If you show cruelty to other people, it's going to hurt you. What did Jesus say about how we should treat other people? As you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. A lot of times we call it the golden rule, right? Do unto others as, as you would have them do unto you. Everybody wants to be treated kindly and fairly and honestly and all that, right? Jesus said, then you treat other people that way. And, and Solomon is saying that in, in a similar way here, is that if you're kind, it's going to benefit your soul. If you're cruel, it's going to hurt your soul. The way you act affects yourself. A lot of times we talk about how it affects other people. It affects you too. Okay? It affects you too. One author even said, the deed affects the doer most. And so since we're affected by the way we treat others, this seems so simple here, but why would we not treat others with kindness then? <laughs> right? Um, can I pull another modern proverb out here? Uh, you attract more flies. What is it? You have more, you attract more bees with honey or something like that? Y'all help me out. Fly, it's flies. I don't know why you want to attract flies, but that's a modern proverb, right? <laughs> About sweetness, you know. Um, why would we not treat others with kindness knowing that there's a good potential that kindness could benefit us too? And that's not an arrogant thing. It's not, you know, planting seeds of, ha, 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 they're going to owe me. You do it because it's right, and we'll talk about that in a second. But it's also going to benefit you. It's also going to benefit you. And so... Um, the idea of being kind to other people here. It's more than just pleasantries, and it's more than just trying to get them to, to owe you something. Because this word for kind uh, in verse 17 is that huge Hebrew word that there is no one English equivalent that can capture its meaning. It means love. It means kindness. It means loyalty. It means faithfulness. It means compassion. It means grace. It means all of those things. And in different contexts, maybe something's emphasized over another. But it's that big word. Uh, I stole the illustration from Brother Penn one time. It's a fruit salad. It's got grapes and strawberries and bananas and apples and all this stuff in it. But it's a fruit salad. That's this word. It's got all of those great things in it. But it's still just one word. 
And that's the word Solomon uses here that's translated as being kind. It's love and loyalty and faithfulness and compassion and all these things. We're not talking about surface level pleasantries of just holding a door open for someone so that maybe they'll hold a door open for you when your hands are full. This is deeper than that. This is love. So the way we live and the way we treat others has a way of coming back to us. And I've got to say this real quick. We don't have time to get deep into this, but this is not karma. Karma is a Hindu teaching that involves reincarnation. We are not reincarnated when we die. When you die, if you know the Lord, you go to be in His presence. When you die and you don't know the Lord, you go away from His presence to a place called hell. You do not come back again, depending on how you lived in this life, as either a roach or a cow or another person. That is a lie. And that's what karma teaches. What the Bible teaches is what we call sometimes the law of sowing and reaping. That's completely different from karma. You do reap what you sow. If you want to reap some kindness, sow kindness. If you want to reap wickedness, sow wickedness. It's, it's, it's that simple. And that's really what verse, what verse 18 says, right? The wicked earn deceptive wages. That's what they earn because they're wicked. But the righteous, the person who sows righteousness, gets a sure reward. Maybe in this life, definitely in the next. In verse 19 then, it's related but it also relates back to the idea of the deliverance versus destruction. Whoever is steadfast in righteousness will live. He who pursues evil will die. That was a real quick, well, I don't know if it's quick or not, but we went through it quick, I felt like. A quick blast through a whole lot of things and a whole lot of little truth nuggets. Um, let me remind you of a few of the big points and kind of end like we've been ending these lessons with this are you wise um, question. Are you honest or deceptive when you deal with people? Dishonesty might benefit you short term. You might make more money if you're deceptive. You might get a better deal, whatever it may be. But are you willing to do something that repulses God in order to get that? Or do you trust Him to take care of you and, and you, are, you find more joy and more peace in just being fair and honest in your dealings, trusting that God will take care of you. That shows integrity and character, and it pleases God. Do your words destroy people, belittle people, slander people? Or are you a trustworthy confidant who shows discretion? Our words are so powerful. They're difficult to control sometimes. That's why we're going to continue to see so much about speech throughout Proverbs. Finally, do you understand how many people and how many things are affected by your actions? He even mentioned cities in this. If nothing else, what you do affects North Bryant Baptist Church.
and the Lord. And so when you make decisions, when, you, when you're talking or whatever it may be, think about how that decision would positively or negatively affect your church or how it would positively or negatively affect your witness for Christ. Part of our actions and, and how they affect things involves that, that deliverance that we saw for the righteous and the destruction for the wicked. Um, part of it's understanding that we reap what we sow and, and how even, of course, what we do affects us. Um, so show kindness to others. Being thankful that that's what God did for you. While we were yet sinners, what did Christ do for us? He died for us. While we were still sinners, he showed us infinite kindness.